right, good morning, Illuminate. So before we get into the text, uh, I wanna let you know that, you know, with all, all of the things that are happening in the world right now, I think that uh, the scriptures call us as Christians to pray even more fervently. So what I'm going to do this week is figure out, I'm not sure how it's gonna work out, we'll figure it out. But I wanna find space here at church on campus to open up a room or two to allow for people to come and just pray during the week. Uh, you know that our footprint has been reduced by about 50% because of our remodel. So we have this space and then a couple of rooms behind us. And so we're maxed out very often through the week, but we'll figure it out. And then to stay informed on that, we send out at least once a week a church-wide email prayer list. And so if you wanna catch that and even contribute to it, call the church or email us and we'll keep you posted in that way. Cool, so if you got your Bibles, we're in Romans chapter five. We're gonna pick up where we left off last week. We're in actually the second half of the chapter. And uh, here's the deal. This section is particularly deep. It is some of the most theologically abstract sections in all of the letter. If you pick up a commentary on Romans, you can go straight to chapter five and see how many pages it devotes to this section. And what I have often found is that when these jewels, so to speak, are unearthed, they bring something remarkable to our lives. So just wanna forewarn you a little bit. It's gonna be a little bit more on the deep end. My job is to simplify it, but not to make it simple because it isn't simple, but we can try to simplify it and come to understand what it means. So essentially, here's what Paul is gonna roll out for us. He's gonna talk about two men. And without doubt, these are the two most influential men in the history of the world. Who's he talking about? He's talking about the first man, Adam. Then he's talking about another man who is a type, we'll explain that in a second, like Adam, and that is Jesus. The sole actions of each one of these men has had worldwide influence on all of humanity since the beginning of human history. And what Paul's gonna do is he's gonna contrast these two lives. Now, let me give you a bit of a, the backdrop to what we're gonna read. The setup is the first 11 verses in the chapters, and it's there that Paul essentially says this. There is no way for a person to be put in a right relationship with God apart from a relationship with Jesus. Now, there are a lot of people who they struggle with that and they might think immediately, I'm on good terms with God, right? Well, Paul establishes the first three chapters of the letter saying, actually, no, you're not. <laughs> you were born into a dysfunctional relationship with God. In a word, that's what the Bible uses to describe it, sin. Just a short word, you don't hear it very often today. But that's the reason why there's so much conflict in the world and conflict in your life, and my life as well. That's all a result of human sin. Now, one might say, well, if Jesus' death, burial, specifically his resurrection, leads to this right relationship with God, that influences millions of people the world over. How can that actually be the case that one person, one, one individual's, one act by one individual could have that breadth of influence? Well, Paul's essentially gonna say, that's a great question. And to help you understand that, I'm gonna take you back in time to the Garden of Eden, to another individual, the first of humanity, Adam. Because through that individual's one act, 
entire course of humanity was set in a different direction. Through his one act of rebellion against God, the world as we know it is fractured, it's scarred, it's marred, it's super dysfunctional. Maybe you've heard me say before, one of the most easily verifiable truths of the Bible, there's something wrong within the human heart. And as much as you and I don't want to admit it, if we're open-minded and open-hearted, we have to understand that that's us. <laughs> to a greater or lesser degree, there's something inside of us that gets twisted up. I think it's probably safe to say that, at least in moments, we have those really dark, private spaces in our lives that we don't let anybody into. It's the thoughts that you have that you don't want anybody knowing exist. That's within you. Where does that come from? Well, Paul is about to explain. With that as the backdrop, he says this in verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world and entered the world through one individual, one man, and then what happened was death through sin came into the world. Death spread to all men because all sin. So you have this one man who sinned. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. So then through this one man, sin entered the world. As a result of that sin, death came. Now death comes to everybody. Okay, that's what he's saying. Because all sin, verse 13. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. What's the law? Well, think of the law as the Old Testament. That's the Bible of Jesus' day. So when he picked up and read from the Bible of his day, that would be what you have in your hands is the Old Testament. That's considered the law. It was given to Moses from God to the people. So for sin indeed was in the world before the law existed. Think of the law and the Ten Commandments. You can count them, one through ten. Before the Ten Commandments came into the world, sin was still in existence. Okay, that's what he's saying. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. I'll explain more that, about that in a second. Verse 14. Yet death still existed. It reigned all the way from Adam to the one who gave us the law, Moses. People died. People died before Moses came on the scene. Even over those who sinning, was not like the transgression of Adam. So Adam initiated things with this one sin of rebelliousness. He took a bite, he disobeyed what God wanted for him. It's actually a little bit deeper than that. But since that time, people have invented new ways of sinning. Okay, so he was kind of, he was the first, but since then, that's not the only sin. Other sins exist apart from that sin. And Paul will explain more about that in a minute. Adam, he goes on to say, was a type of the one who was to come. Who's he talking about? He's talking about Jesus. How is Adam a type of Jesus? Well, both individuals would perform an act that would transform all of humanity. That's how they are similar. Sin came into the world through one man, Adam. That's how he begins. By the way, I should be quick to point out that both the apostle Paul and Jesus believed that Adam was a real human, that he really did exist, all right? So let's go back in time to that scene. We'll summarize it. God creates man in his image. Of all God's creation, 
Only man is created in the image of God. Therefore, for that reason alone, this is part of the Christian ethic. For that reason alone, because man, mankind, that's literally what the Hebrews understood the word Adam to mean, mankind, male and female, created in the image of God. For that reason alone, all of humanity is worthy of the utmost respect, honor, and dignity. Because when you look around the room, you are actually looking at a creature that bears the image of God, created in God's image. The animals weren't that way. And so what happens is God places them in this beautiful environment, gives them everything they need and more, and lays down one restriction. That tree right there, don't touch it. No, that's what the tempter came and said. Don't eat it. Restriction, don't eat it. When you do, it's gonna be bad for you. It'll be bad for you. Just look around and see all that I provided and that will communicate my care, compassion, and concern for you. Just trust me, stay away from it. And then there's this creature that enters. Now, up until this point, God had told Adam and Eve, you're in charge. You have authority over the created order, over creation. And so then this created being comes on the scene and what happens is begins to take authority over Adam and Eve. Crafty. Some of the most easily believed lies are the ones that contain a kernel of truth. Did God say you shouldn't eat from that? See how it begins? Just if I can just plant a seed of doubt in your mind, I'm just gonna get you to question God's goodness. Did God really say that to you? Almost like, huh, no, that doesn't seem right. More so, God knows that when you take of that tree, you will become like him. You'll know good from evil. Well, that was a true statement. They were gonna know good from evil, but not in the way they thought. See, the idea is that God is withholding something from you. And it's human nature. Don't withhold anything from me. <laughs> yeah. Don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me what I can and cannot do. And certainly don't withhold something from me that I think I should have. And there's the temptation. And what happens? They bite. They fall for it. Sin enters the world. This is what Paul is beginning to explain. And we talked about it a few weeks ago. To sin is to miss the mark. Ancient archers, as they would let the arrows fly, aiming for the bullseye. If they missed, the crowd would yell, sinner, sinner, meaning you missed. God has this standard. It's reflected in his character. When you read the 10 commandments, not only is it good for a well-ordered functioning society, it's good if you want a well-ordered, a good purposeful society, the 10 commandments are great, by the way. Don't take what's not yours. Yeah. Don't manipulate people. See, these are good things for society. They also are a reflection of the character of God, the attributes of God. And so we fall short. We are unable, we are unable of keeping these commandments with any kind of consistency. And so that's why the Bible says we're all, we're all sinners. So this being the case, there's this, this sin principle that is now present within Adam. And then Adam passed it on to all of his procreation that followed, including you 
and me. In the same way that we have arms, we have legs, we have faces, mouths, eyes, ears. Adam had all of those things. Why do we have them? Because Adam had them, and he passed them on to us. In the same way, Adam had this inward disposition of sin, and we also inherited that. And if you're a Jew in the first century and you're reading this, uh, this was actually acceptable to you. Because again, the word Adam in Hebrew carries the idea of mankind. So for one to think, well, oh, I understand. I'm suffering as a result of what my forefathers did. They had no problem with that. Even to this day, in the Eastern mindset, they understand that. It's not very Western, no, not at all. In the West, we tend to think, now why would I be responsible for what someone in the past did? Why would I be responsible for what one of my ancestors did? Why would I be responsible? Why would I carry that around with me now? That doesn't seem right or fair. That's a Western mindset. Eastern mindset, they, they totally ate it. Certainly in the mind of a first century Jew, they, they would have no problem with this. But we struggle with it. But let's be open-minded and open-hearted. It's, it is human nature to want more, to not have any restrictions. Um, it's never enough. That's exactly what happened in Adam. And if someone was to say, you know, I don't think it's fair that I should suffer as a result of what Adam did. Here's what I would say to you. If you were in the garden, replace Adam's name with yours, you would make the same. You would make the same decision. You would face the same temptation and what's inside of you would spill out. And you know this to be true, especially if you're a parent. It's amazing how as a parent, you can have children that are so very different from you in many ways. And in a lot of ways, they're a lot like you. And you look at that little kid and you're like, wow, you get that from me. Or you definitely get that from mom, <laughs> both positively and negatively. This, this is, okay, listen, I'm just going to tell you, God's ordained plan for a family, a husband and a wife to parent for a lifetime. Why is that so? Well, the natural outworking of that has to do with the raising of children. I can't tell you how many times I've looked at Jill and I've said, you gotta tell me what this kid is thinking because I have no clue. And Jill would be like, well, I'll tell you exactly what she's thinking. I'll tell you exactly what he's thinking. There's these little elements of each of our kids that are just like us. And there will be times when, when I'll say, okay, if you say that, I can tell you, this is how our kid's gonna take it. You know why I know that? Because that's how I would receive it. This kid's a lot like me. So we pass these things along to our children. This is just a very simple principle. And the fact that none of us has ever had to teach our toddler to say no or mine. No, instead you have to teach your child to share. You have to teach your child to play nice. You have to teach your child to be considerate of those around them, but you never have to teach them. I'll tell you, you do not have to teach a teenager how to rebel. 
Any parent ever have to teach their kid how to talk back? Why do you think that is? Why do you think that is? The Bible is incredibly profound and relevant. It's been that way from the beginning. So for you to say, well, I, it's not fair. I wasn't there. No, you were there. Think of it this way. If the source of the stream is contaminated, everything downstream is what? Polluted. Adam is the source. That means all of us downstream, to some degree, we're polluted. Uh, so that's, chap- that's verse 12. Now, in an effort to show that sin has been around a long time and that sin produces death, the Bible says the wages of sin is death, both physical and spiritual, Paul's gonna emphasize the physical element of sin. And he's gonna make the obvious point. Lest you think that sin isn't present in the world, sin, sin brings death, hey, Death has been around for a long time, verse 13. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. We talked about how this word counted is an accounting term. It has to do with numbers. You have the law. You have lots of laws laid out here in the Old Testament. Then you have, well, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. You have ten of them. Those can be counted. They're codified. This is what he's talking about. So there could have been a time in the past, although you have a conscience that tells you what you're doing is wrong. You don't want want to be treated a certain way. Well, you shouldn't treat people that that way. You don't need a law to tell you that. but, But now that you have the law, it's written in black and white, you are totally without excuse. In fact, you can count which law you've broken with the Ten Commandments. You can count them. So what he says is, For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. Sin existed before the time of Moses. He was the lawgiver. But sin is not counted where there is no law. But when the law comes, you can literally count it. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses. Moses is the lawgiver. That's why he mentions him. Even over those whose sinning wasn't exactly like the transgression or the sin of Adam, who was a type of the one to come. think, Think of it this way. Every time you pass by a cemetery, you can be reminded that it all started with Adam. The oldest engraved headstones in the United States date to the 1600s, which makes sense. However, there are cemeteries in Greece that are 5,000 years old. And you visit this place and you realize... People have been dying for a long time. They've been dying for a long time. 5,000 years. Cemetery is 5,000 years old. You know what that means? That's before God spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai and gave him the law, which tells you what? Death didn't come because the law was there because you have it written. Death became, death comes because of Adam. Adam was the first sinner. The wages of sin is death. See what he's saying? See where he's taking you? This is, he's just helping you understand the fact that Sin has been present in the world from the very beginning, from this one individual. That is the influence of one individual. You say, that's crazy. Yes, but he's about to set you up for the influence of another individual who's actually more influential, a greater influence than even Adam. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but not counted where there is no law. Death was still in existence. It was still in existence 
uh, I came across the story of an undertaker who would sign his correspondence with these words, eventually yours. Clever, huh? He's right. Eventually, you and I, we're going to need some kind of service like that. Whether it's the dude that runs the crematorium, eventually yours. Or the funeral home. Oh, eventually I'll see you. And what Paul says is, why is that the case? It started with Adam and what he did. The Bible is true. Sin entered the world. The wages of sin is death, physical and spiritual, which means the relationship you have with God. Whenever you sin, there's a disruption in that relationship. When your child chooses to rebel, not even understanding, it's like a toddler doesn't know. You run out in the street, you're gonna get hit by that car. Well, what's a car? I don't know. I like that area. I'm gonna go play in it. No, you don't know what I know. Just do what I tell you to do. I know better than you do. But then, see, all of humanity, we're like a bunch of little toddlers. We know better. We know better. There's a fence around my backyard. A lot, many of you have been to my house. There's a fence around my backyard. On the other side of the fence is a very busy street. You know what that fence does? Provides safety. That's kind of like the laws of God. They provide safety. Now, if the fence wasn't there and my kids were little, I'd ha- constantly have to try to explain what a car is and how they could, and, and, but their little minds, they're little, they can't comprehend that. So they're just gonna, so now here's the problem. Some people build fences within fences within fences. Those people become very legalistic. They add to what the Bible says. Just let the Bible speak for itself. There's freedom in restriction. Don't add any unnecessary restrictions. Because if you do, if you have kids, your kid's gonna wanna bust through every single wall that they ever see eventually. The Bible gives healthy boundaries. Let them be what they are. Even with that, we wanna blow through them. So here's, here's uh, this type of man who has this great influence in Adam. Uh, Jesus is this type that is to come. How is Adam a type of Jesus exactly? He explains in verse 15. But the free gift, I, just, I love this language. But the free gift is not like the trespass. Think of trespass as a violation of a, of a written law. So what is the free gift? Well, Paul tells us the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ. Jesus, and how is it not like Adam's sin? Well, for if many died through one man's trespass, Adam, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, here he is, Jesus Christ, abounded for Many. So this is interesting because essentially what he's saying is Adam is a type of Jesus, not because they're exactly the same, but because they're dissimilar. They're dissimilar. Adam's actions brought a degenerative power upon the entire human race. His one act. But through Jesus' one act, there would be a regenerative power brought upon the entire human race. So they're similar in the sense that through their actions, they've had incredible influence, but the actions are extremely dissimilar in their nature. And when Adam made the critical error, Jesus corrected it. Uh, Think of it like this. Um, You're at Home Depot and you've got your little DIY projects there and you're ringing yourself out at the checkout, the self-checkout counter, right? 
and you accidentally, you make a mistake. You take the same item and you, you accidentally ring it up twice. You realize that you can't remove the product on your own. You made the mistake, but you can't correct it. So what do you have to do? You have to wait until someone walks over and what do they do? They take their little badge, boop, doot, 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 doot. Okay, and they kind of look at you like, fixed it for you, you know, fixed it for you. Well, what is it about that person? Well, they've been given authority that you don't have. They've been given power that you don't have. They've been given access to something that you don't have access to on your own. They have to fix the mistake. You can't fix it, you can't fix it yourself. You have to have them come and do it for you. That, that in its seed form is what Paul is explaining. So you made this error. All of humanity is guilty now. But the one act of Jesus undoes all the wrong that was done before. That's the influence. Verse 16, and the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. How so? You're gonna see. It's, it's actually more influential. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. That one trespass, we're all sinners, we all fall under the righteous and holy anger of a just God. Condemnation. But the free gift, following many trespasses, brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Both had influence, but Jesus' influence more powerful because it would bring forgiveness for millions of people who embraced the free gift and the grace of God. Verse 18, here's his summary. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteousness. And then he concludes with this. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. I love this phrase, grace abounded all the more. If you read a bunch of different translations, you'll find there's quite a variety of um, a description of this, this phrase, all the more, in the original language in the Greek. And for good reason, it's really difficult to capture in English because it describes an overabundance of something. You think of it like this. It's like you have this four ounce Dixie cup, this little Dixie cup, those little paper, those little four ounce cups. And you're filling that cup with the water that is in all of the oceans in the world. And they're just being poured out into this little cup. And what happens? It's constantly overflowing and overflowing. There's a phrase that Paul uses. It's, so, it's such a cool phrase. He describes grace as grace upon grace. And that phrase was used to describe, a very similar phrase was used to describe waves on the beach. So you've got your chair, your beach chair out, you're sitting there, you're watching the waves and you're like, oh, look at that wave. Oh, there's another one and another one. Gosh, it's been an hour now. When are these waves gonna stop? And they don't. 
And since the oceans have been created, one wave after another rolls in. And that's the image that Paul uses when he describes the grace of God. And it's necessary. You know why? Because where there's sin, grace has to abound all the more. And because men and women are sharing the same sinful ancestor, the source, our contamination is pretty consistent. But as often as the contamination manifests itself, here comes another wave of grace. Now, Paul will make the argument, well, if that's the case, shouldn't we just sin more so that God can look better and bestow more grace on us? He says, you don't understand what it cost him. You don't understand. Grace is present so that it would just melt your heart. And you realize, wow, I don't deserve this. I can't earn it. Why would I wanna take advantage of it? If you take advantage of it, you probably don't fully understand it. So the language is just, it's so, it's so good. It's so good. Here's the purpose of it, verse 21. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So God's grace is the, gives you the ability to reign in this life. How so? Jesus said in John chapter 10, the thief comes only to st- steal, kill, and destroy. But I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. We have a lot of people just living on this planet. You know what I'm saying? It's like they're existing, but they don't have, a, they have life. They're alive, but they don't have abundant life. And the world today with all of its dysfunction and all of its miscommunication and its distractions, people are so twisted up. They're so sideways. And then you have this ancient text that speaks this profound truth and it begins to unravel and untangle the mess that has become people's lives. And it starts with grace. And you might say, listen, still, I wasn't there when Adam made his decision. I shouldn't be held responsible. Well, you weren't there when Jesus was hung on the cross and you're a recipient of that. Why would we not accept one without the other? And notice how Paul ends the chapter with these words. It's Jesus Christ, our Lord. You know what the name Jesus means, Yeshua? God saves. Christ. It's not Jesus' last name. Don't laugh when I say that. Some people think that's the case. Christ is a Latin word meaning Christos, Messiah. So when Jesus, Jesus was in the synagogues, there were times where he picked up the Bible of his day and would open up to a messianic prophecy, a forthcoming Messiah, and he would read it, and then he would kick back and be like, it's me. The words that are being spoken of, they're talking about me. They're talking about me. That's why he's the Christos, the Messiah. And then Paul adds, he's our kurios, which means master. We are all masters to somebody or something. I don't care who you are. You're a slave to something. Why not be enslaved to the most 
benevolent master you could imagine who only and always has your best interest. But I don't need that. What are you gonna do? Become your own master? Good luck with that. We all need that North Star. Many of us have tried that for years. Many of us still struggle with it, by the way, myself included. I'll tell you the times that I get myself in trouble is when I start to think thoughts apart from what God would want for me. And you know what that is? That's me, that's me saying, hey God, get off the throne. Jason's gonna sit on it. That never ends well, never. I'm gonna have you bow your heads and close your eyes. So my job was to simplify it, but not make it simple because it's not a simple thing. And I would challenge you, I'll tell you, my prayer for you all has been this, to recognize what's inside and then to recognize that in spite of those things, you are never too far from the outstretched arm of God. You think about all the great heroes of the faith, Hebrews chapter 11, there's a listing of them. Moses, hero of the faith, he was a murderer. Buried a dude in the sand to cover it up. Abraham essentially pimped out his wife. Sarah laughed at God's promise. David essentially committed first degree murder to cover up an adulterous affair that led to a pregnancy of one of his friends, his friend's wife. <laughs> and the grace of God enters these lives and completely and totally transforms them. See, apart from God's grace, what do you have? You have your, you have your own merit. It's you earning your way to God. That is a sick game because you never know if you've been good enough. That's not how it goes. That's the beautiful thing about grace. So there are these waves that come in and you just let them wash over you. And that might be where you're at this morning. So Father, I pray that... your grace would become so real in our lives that we would find the proper motivation to live for you, to step into that abundant life. For those who are here and they feel like perhaps they're just too far gone, God, what could be a better text? We all miss the mark. And for those who have appropriated the free gift, who have received it, God, we've been justified. And we've been saved by grace and we live in it day in and day out. And we're so grateful for that. We're grateful for the one who makes it all possible. And his name is Jesus Christ. And God's people said, amen.